Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. If you were to ask me what's the power of the men's ministry retreat, I might say there's this spirit of togetherness or some other thing like that. But you know the real power of the men's ministry retreat is honesty. That's honest. It's honesty. Then I, you know, I've watched it and scratched my head for several years now because God uses it to impact men. And what does He use? He uses honesty. It's the one place where guys can come and they can be totally honest. And people aren't going to judge them. They're going to love them. And they're going to walk with them and they're going to share their story. And their honesty becomes infectious and other people get honest. It's really what the church should be all the time, honest. But the problem is we've got a bit of dishonesty in us. There's something in us. I I read a story on the internet that said the average person lies four times a day. And I don't know if that's a lie or not because I read it on the internet, you know. (laughs) But there is something about this dishonesty thing because what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a better me to present to you. And I'm going to always present my better me to you because I need your approval and I need you to think well of me. And if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't think those things. And so I lie to myself, I lie to God, and I lie to you because that's the natural instinct that we all have. And in the process of that, we begin to live with secrets. And we protect our secrets and we guard our secrets. And here's the truth about secrets. Secrets make us sick. And the more secretive we become, the sicker we get. That's why why the Word of God says, those things that you've seen in darkness, bring them to the light. Be honest, because in honesty, it's almost like lancing a wound. It's exposing the infection that's inside of it, and it lets it get out. And once it gets out, honesty becomes a transforming thing. So let's get honest this morning, okay? Let's talk about honesty. And one of the greatest stories of honesty for me has to be David. So let's go to 2 Samuel 11. If you have trouble finding 2 Samuel, it's right after 1 Samuel. Um but we won't challenge you to look too hard. If you can find it, if you can't, we're going to give you the verse. But to set the scene, David has been king for some time. The thing's kind of running itself. You know, if you're a good leader over time, the organization will kind of run itself. You still have to chase down the problems. You still got to fight the battles. But at the end of the day, the kingdom's running like a well-oiled machine, right? And it's the spring of the year. It's time for the armies to go out and to retake maybe positions in cities and villages that had been taken by the enemy in the past and just doing battle. And normally the king goes with them. But, but for some reason, whatever it is, maybe David's tired of it. Maybe he's older, he's tired of sleeping in a tent, he's tired of the death, he's tired of the blood, he's tired, he's tired of fighting. We get there too, don't we? He stayed behind. 2 Samuel 11, 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, that's his general, And the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites, they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
So David's behind in Jerusalem. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's supposed to be with the army. He can't sleep. He's up on top of his house. He's trying to walk it out, you know, to create some fatigue. So when he finally does lay down in bed, he can rest. And that's one of the struggles of leadership. I heard a guy once say, if you want to be a leader, you have to give up the luxury of a good night's sleep. So David's walking on the roof, the courtyard beside him. There's a beautiful woman, the neighbor's wife. He looks down, she's bathing. He can't look away. And so he inquires about her. He asks his staff, hey, uh, hey guys, who's the new neighbor? Who's, who's that? And, you know, he's trying to be nonchalant about it. And the guys are like trying to warn him off. Oh, that's Bathsheba, you know. That's Uriah's wife. You know Uriah. He's one of your guys. He's in your army. That, that lady next door, that's Uriah's wife. Right, David? I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's Uriah's. Everybody, are we clear on who that is? Yeah, that's Uriah's wife. Because they want David to realize this woman is taken. But David doesn't hear any of that because lust is conceived, as James said. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is born, it brings forth death. And so David says, get her for me. And they bring her to David and he spends the night with her in a moment of adultery and sin is conceived. A few weeks go by, Bathsheba fails the pregnancy test. Or maybe she passes it, however you want to look at it. And they know Uriah, her husband, is going to know he's not the daddy because he's off with the army fighting. And so David begins the cover-up. He does what we all do. He tries to create the secret to cover the sin. And it's an elaborate plot. He brings Uriah back. He says, hey, take a weekend off. You know, you guys, I got free tickets to Cancun. Why don't y'all go hang out for the weekend, have a little romantic time? And Uriah, a righteous man, says, man, I'm not going to do that with my wife when my brothers are sleeping on the hard ground and doing battle. And he slept in the hallway, wouldn't go into his wife. One thing leads to another. Finally, David comes to this horrific decision He sends a note with Joab and he says, look, here's the deal. You guys do battle against this city, pull up close to the wall, and then without telling Uriah, everybody back away. And uh, in the process, Uriah was killed. You know, this dark stuff. Uh, And it really speaks to the darkness that happens in secrets, doesn't it? I think one of the things that I take away from this is if this could happen to David, then I'm not immune to it. Because David, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He's the only person in all of the Bible that says that. It was through David's lineage that Jesus was born. He was called the son of who? David. And yet here's David not only committing adultery, but now he's committed murder to cover up the crime. Still, David thought he got away with it. Nobody knows, right? I've got this secret. Nobody knows. Joab knew. And everybody Joab told knew. And everybody who was told by the people that Joab told, they knew. let me tell you a secret about secrets. There are no secrets. And the sad thing is that we make ourselves sick in a deceptive idea because at the end of the day, even if you do pull it off and nobody else knows, God knows. And God knew what David did. 
So he sent his prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes at David, and he doesn't just come straight at him. He knows if I come straight at David with this, he's going to become defensive. He's the king. He's not going to receive it. And he's going to create more secrets and more walls, and he's going to wall himself in. So Nathan comes at it creatively. He says, David, let me tell you a story about something that just happened. David's like, okay. He says, there's this rich guy, and he's got all these sheep. He's got more sheep than he can possibly count. And his next-door neighbor just has this one little sheep. Actually, it's just a lamb. It's just a little ewe lamb, a female lamb. And this little female lamb, she's part of the family, David. I mean, she eats at the table with them, you know. They feed her bread at the table. When he sits in his recliner at night and watches ESPN, that lamb just lays across his belly. I mean, she's like a daughter to him. And David, you know, he, he was a shepherd. I'm sure David had the same kind of relationship with some lamb, you know. It, it just becomes like a child. So David's like into this story. And then Nathan says, you know that rich guy next door? He had a visitor come in. He had to make some preparations for dinner. But rather than killing one of his countless sheep, he took that guy's only lamb and he slaughtered that lamb. Man, David is like wrapped up in the story. He is incendiary. He's luminescent. He's so mad. Um, In fact, uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, then David became very angry at this man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. I mean, that's how mad he is. Isn't it interesting that David is willing to put to death a man who killed a sheep? And then he comes to himself. He says, because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. And I think, isn't it interesting how enraged David became with someone else's sin when his sin was so much worse? Don't we do that? Your sin is always, I got to tell you, your sin's worse than mine. My sin's excusable because I understand myself, and I understand anybody in my situation would do what I do, but you, it's inexcusable to sin you. Somebody said this. They said, don't hate me because my sin is different from yours. Nathan let the hammer fall. David said, whoever did this, man, he deserves to die. Nathan pointed that bony prophetic finger at him and says, David, you're that man. You are that man. And man, you can just feel a shudder go through David because in that creativity and the sensitivity to the Spirit, Nathan's story had penetrated David's defenses and that missile had gone right into his heart and exploded. And then Nathan tells him the consequences that are coming. He says, verse 10, So now the sword will never depart from your house, for you have despised me, that's God, by taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. This is what the Lord says, I'm about to bring disaster on you from inside your own household. Right before your eyes, I'll take your wives and hand them over to your companion. He'll have sexual relations with your wives in broad daylight. Imagine the devastation of what was coming upon David's life. But maybe the worst part was, he said, and all of it is going to be done in broad daylight. Look at verse 12. Although you have acted in secret, I will do this thing before all Israel and in broad daylight. And that's exactly what happened. David had one son that raped a daughter 
And then another son murdered that son who had raped the daughter. And then that son led a coup d'etat to kick David out of the kingdom. And while David's on the run, barely surviving, that same son goes into the palace, pitches a tent on the roof of the palace, and sleeps with all of David's wives. Exactly as Nathan had said it would be done. And I think we need to understand that there are consequences to our sin. And sometimes even after the forgiveness, God allows the consequences to remain. You say, why would he do that? Is it cold-hearted? Why is this happening to David? The exposure was to ensure that it never happens again. And sometimes in the process of coming to terms with our who we are and with what God is doing in our life, he's going to leave us with a limp. And we're going to walk with that limp the rest of our life. But that becomes the mark of our testimony to remind us of who God is and what He does for us. Sometimes He leaves the consequences. But listen to this. When we get honest, He always forgives. And there, standing in that blinding light, fully exposed, David finally got honest. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan I replied to David, yes, and the Lord has forgiven your sin. You're not going to die. And verse, uh, Psalm 51 records David's confession. Psalm 32 records his testimony. Let's start with the confession. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. David is completely honest. Do you see it? Do you feel it? You guys in blue shirts, you know exactly what he's saying. There's no holding back. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. Look, he's not shaking his fist at heaven going, God, why'd you let this happen to me? He says, you will be proved right in what you say. That's humility. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now listen to his insight, because this is true in all of us. And here it is. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. You desire honesty. What does God desire of us? You know, I'll talk to people all the time, and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I'm going to come to that church after I get my life cleaned up. That's like saying, I'm going to go to the hospital after I get well. That's the sense it makes. God doesn't desire you to clean your life up and to scrub the surface. God desires from you honesty. It's all about honesty. It's about looking into yourself in light of His holiness and realizing who you are. And David recognized that. The cleansing was not something he was capable of. We can cover our sin in secrets, but we can only be cleansed through honesty and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so he says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And this experience then of his confession becomes his testimony and his testimony is in Psalm 32. And here's what he says. He says two things. He says, first of all, I need forgiveness. Say, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And that word blessed means a sense of happiness. We talked about joy all summer long. You're never going to find joy until you find forgiveness because that's the desperate need of our life. He says, whose sin is covered. And isn't it interesting that even then he uses this expression we use all the time. We talk about our sins being covered. The blood of Jesus, what? Covers my sin. 
Psalm 80, 85, 2. You, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. That's what grace does. It covers. Skip over to the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, 8. For the love covers a multitude of sin. When we sin, and through humility and honesty, we lay that before the Father. He covers our sin. He doesn't acquit us of the sin. He doesn't pretend the sin didn't happen. He covers it with His grace. Back to Psalm 32, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. There's that word impute, and whose spirit there is no deceit. He doesn't impute, that's an accounting term. He doesn't record to your account the iniquity of your life. In fact, he does something just the opposite. And Paul talks about this in Romans. He says, for Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him, it was imputed to him as righteousness. Rather than impute to us our sin, God imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. He says, I'm going to clear your debt By accounting terms, I'm going to give you all the grace you ever need to cover all the sin you've ever done. And that's what we need to realize. All the grace you need will always be available to cover all the sin you do. But watch what happens when we're not honest. That's what happens when we're honest with the Father. But watch what happens when we're not. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. And that word for body there is bones. My bones felt it. I feel it in my bones. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer, Selah. My vitality, that that word means juice at its core. My juices ran out, you know. Uh, I ran out of juice. It just weighed me down. Lost my juice because sin's a heavy thing. It's burdensome. Here's an interesting insight. You know, the Bible says we're made of body, soul, and spirit. You know that? First uh, Thessalonians 5.23, now may the spirit of peace make, your, make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes. And here's the funny thing. When we sin with our bodies, are you with me? We experience the consequence in our spirit. It's not as if you can separate these things out. When I sin with my body, I experience the consequence in my spirit and the sin and guilt in my spirit is then felt in my body and in my soul. I feel it in my bones and my juices flow out. I lose my vitality. This is why honesty is so important and so healing. We live in a day that has, a, has declared war on sin. In fact, it's been going on for a long time. Minager wrote a book in the 70s called Whatever Became of Sin. And the concept is, there is no God, there is no sin, so you shouldn't feel guilt. And if you feel guilt, that's wrong, and anybody that makes you feel guilty is wrong. Therefore, the great need of our time is to accept ourselves as we are. And forget about sin, forget about forgiveness, forget about all this stuff. And it's no wonder that in a world like that, we are so sick and tired Because we feel it in our body. We feel it in our body. It's making us sick. And we feel it in our soul. Our vitality is lost. Hebrews 11, 27. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. 
David said, when I kept silent, my body wasted. I felt it in my bones and the life juice just drained away with the weight of carrying that guilt. Man, that's powerful. You guys know what I'm talking about? And this is why forgiveness is so important. We desperately need to be forgiven. And you're not helping anybody when you say just accept yourself. They don't need your affirmation. They don't need your justification. They need God's forgiveness. And the only way to get that is you have to be honest. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. There it is again. He stopped hiding. He stepped out from behind his avatar and he said, I don't care anymore what people think. I want to be free. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is where healing happens. It's where we come to the end, right? I quit playing games. I quit trying to cover it up. I just say, I'll, I need Jesus. I heard, I heard several of you guys say that. And I just came to the end of myself and it's just, I just need... And here's what's interesting. Someone said this. When, when Jesus is all you have, you find He's all you need. I know what you're thinking. My stuff's just too dark, man. If, if you knew what I did... You know, I had a lady one time in church. She said, Bill, I'd, I'd love to come forward at the end of a service, but I have to live with all these other people all week long. What she, what she meant by that was, it matters more to me what other people think than my relationship with God. That's what she was saying. I felt sorry for her because she could never really be honest. You're, you're like, if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't accept me. And if you can't accept me, then how could God accept me? How much sin did God forgive with David? Some of it. You know, he doesn't use a modifier. He doesn't say God forgave some of my sin. He doesn't. He just says God forgave my sin. Implied in that is every bit of it. And remember, David is the author and his sin was adultery and murder. Don't you figure if God can forgive David, he can forgive you? But none of that happens until you get honest. You know, the retreat is an honest place. So is this. This is an honest place. This is a place where you can be honest. And I want to invite you to be honest today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you can't believe how many excuses you got to hear at a retreat over a weekend before they all finally said, yeah, it's me, I need Jesus. It's time to give that stuff up. Quit playing those games. Quit working with secrets and get honest. If you don't know Christ today, that's your need. You need forgiveness. And even if you know Christ and you've been letting some things into your life, it's time to get honest. It's time to get honest about who you are in light of who God is. And so I want to do something a little different today. I'm about to pray, and after I pray, Blake's going to come out and sing. And I'm going to invite you to come down right here and just let these guys pray for you and, and, and let, them, let them love you and let them be honest with you. If you need to get honest with Jesus today, I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. Would you do that? Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the healing that came to David because that gives me hope because I'm no David. You know, it's never been said of me, there's a guy that's after God's heart. I wasn't codified in Scripture as 
as of the lineage of Jesus. I'm just Bill. But God, if you could heal David, then you can heal me and you can heal us. And so, Father, best we know how, we just come to you for that healing. We're going to be honest about who we are. And we're just going to say, hey, no more secrets. Secrets make us sick. I'm just giving all that I know about me to all that I understand about you in this moment right now. And we thank you for the healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.